what we've learned along the way is that by empowering finance teams, you can also multiply the impact that controllers and actually accountants can have across the organization. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization by streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Julio Martinez, co-founder and CEO at Abacom. Now here is your host, M. Daigle. Julio, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you up to this moment and look forward to having you here to chat through everything with our listeners here today. Um, I'm thrilled to be joining you. Thank you so much for hosting me. Absolutely. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So kind of curious if you can share with us, how do you wind down after the workday is over? What are the types of things you like to do? I'm married. I have three kids. So I think uh, my children take uh, make a good use of, of, my, of my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> but usually on weekends, we use surfing and skiing to decompress as a family. And also at the end of the day, you know, I practice martial arts, actually with my children as well. And I also love playing chess. Oh, wow. So you're very active with three kids and all those activities. They must keep you busy. They keep me busy. Keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. I only have two, and so I can't imagine adding more to that mix. So one of the things that I ask every single guest is around how you refer to the holistic revenue process. So I've had some folks start just easy order to revenue, quote to cash. Then I've heard some really great other ones that have been introduced to me, like lead to revenue or opportunity to reporting. How do you refer to that holistic revenue process? Yeah, we think of it the more, the more holistically, the better. So from lead to revenue recognition, usually cash is king or, or queen. But usually we think from when you're generating those leads, going through quote and order, and then revenue recognition. Obviously, you, you, you want to make sure you're collecting that, hopefully before you recognize the revenue. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I've seen most of the transition from some of the early answers I got. Now they're mostly around that more holistic end-to-end process as far as starting as early as an opportunity, even before an order, and going all the way through the revenue because it doesn't just end with cash. It can be after that. So you're right in line with everybody else. I love it. So kudos to you on that one. So Julio, tell me a little bit more about your journey. You have such an interesting background, right? You started in investment banking. You've started Abacom that's focused on FP&A automation. So can you take us through that journey and what it looks like and how you ended up on this path? Absolutely. I've been in finance forever. So I met my co-founder during our MBA. That's 13 years ago. And prior to that, I was already in finance. After my MBA, I continued in finance, went into investment banking, spent time in different geographies. I had the privilege to be in New York, Sao Paulo, Zurich, and London. So all all very cool and very fast-paced. I was covering software for a part of it, but nothing related to product, really. And then I was given the awesome opportunity to transition into fintech. So I started leading a fintech venture builder where 
it was our responsibility to build and launch fintech products to market from scratch. And this is where I came across the FBNA space and, and category, and I was blown away by the massive opportunity to add value to customers in the mid market. Um, so uh, long story short, got very obsessed about it as a founder and then partnered with my amazing co-founder, George, left everything and went ahead to, to build automation for, for finance teams in the mid market. That's so interesting. It's amazing when I talk to different guests about what their journey looks like, but this is definitely the first I've heard from, from your perspective, which is really, really interesting. Now, you probably have a slightly different perspective of finance automation coming from an investment banking background than maybe those who've been in-house accounting or finance roles or tri more traditional finance roles their, their entire career. Could you talk a little bit about that and maybe how that investment banking background has helped you along the way? Totally. Um, I think uh, I was working very closely with finance teams in mid-market and actually enterprise customers. And I think I had a very unique and privileged perspective as to how these teams were operating. But I was not an insider, right? So that's why my co-founder and I partnered with, with somebody that besides being an engineer and you know, a super smart guy that used to work in the space agency. And he transitioned into the dark side. So he became <laughs> FPNA and then CFO in very fast growing companies, unicorn companies. So he's bringing all this wealth of operational experience. I think this is uh, the right balance to build an amazing product that is making finance teams not only better operators, but also better strategic thinkers, which is what we used to do in investment banking uh, at the time. So interesting. And it sounds like you guys have a really great partnership there where you can play off of each one of your strengths, which is really a, an awesome opportunity. Let's jump to the general ledger. So tell me a little bit more about your current work. Like, What are the things that you're working on right now that has you really interested or excited? We continue extremely focused on product. This is the first thing that keeps me very busy and, and actually most of the companies still 60-70% of Abacom is very engaged in product development. The FP&A category and in general finance software is usually pretty complex, right? So you, you, you need a very deep expertise. You need to be very acquainted with the problem space and the persona. So we continue building the best product out there for FP&A teams. Also, from a company building perspective, you know, we, we are obviously investing a lot in go-to-market, as you would expect as well. So we are currently growing the teams across US, Europe, EMEA, and, and LATAM as well. So, so interesting. Now, when you're building these products, I'm just, you know, kind of curious from a, an expertise perspective. Do you have subject matter experts that you have in-house that you work with? Do you consult with folks? Like, how do you get that firsthand knowledge to help help you develop what that product looks like and should do? Or maybe you're even working with some customers as well. Curious what that looks like. I love this question because <laughs> we, are, we are very opinionated when it comes to product and when it comes to building the best product. And at the beginning, you know, three years and a half ago, it was more maybe founder-driven, right? So we came with a deep understanding of the problem, a vision as to what to build. I have to say this is long gone and 
and now this has transcended us as founders. So now we have an amazing product team, design team, and engineering team. They work very closely with, first of all, our customers. We have a customer advisory board. We are always in recurring calls with our existing customer base to get customer feedback, to expose prototypes, to show what's coming, AI these days, for instance. We also incorporate in that customer advisory board prospects. I think sometimes you can get skewed towards your customer base. So talking to companies that maybe are close to us, maybe not so close to us, but anyway, finance teams in the market, subject experts to also get feedback is very important to us. And then last but not least, we also have a finance team internally, not only that tackles our finances as a company, but also that takes lead of the implementations. They know the product very glamorously, very glamorously, so that they know it inside out. So they are also our first resource when it comes to fast feedback as to is this going to work or not? Is this really solving customer pains? How, how excellent or not this is? So this is a little bit our product methodology. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I get too excited, but hey, this yeah. is our baby. <laughs> no, I love that. And it's, you know, you said, you understood the problem and maybe that problem changes over time. Maybe it needs some tweaks, whatever it is, but using those subject matter experts, both from customers, maybe other potential customers, prospects, companies close to you, or those in-house experts as well is so key. And I bet that's also key on the implementation side as well. Just having those folks and those subject matter experts involved in the implementation coming from someone who was in finance and implemented a number of automation tools myself, it was always so helpful to me when the team that was helping me implement that tool really understood what I was trying to do, what my use cases looked like, what it was I actually needed as an outcome. So I love that you have that built right into your your entire business model. That's awesome to hear. You post a lot on LinkedIn and talk a lot about the concept of a, of a modern controller. I'm using air quotes that anybody who's just listening and not watching can't see. But could you talk a little bit more about that? Would love to hear about like kind of like the old school versus modern controller and what you see has like really changed and what might be driving that change. We work very closely with FBNA teams, right? When I refer to the modern controller is in that context. We also work as a company and our product is used by controlling and accounting teams as well. And what we've learned along the way is that by empowering finance teams, you can also multiply the impact that controllers and actually accountants can have across the organization. We are seeing no relevant differences between, in terms of a skill set or preparation between, you know, modern controllers and actually FP&A teams. So sometimes when we work with customers, it's a bit puzzling, right? To understand, you know, what are the real differences. And we see more and more controlling teams with the appetite to get closer to the business, to get closer to operational KPIs, to, to, to be able to pose the challenging questions, to be more of a partner also to the rest of the organization. So I'm approaching this modern controller from from that perspective. Controllers that are going beyond accounting and financials and are actually talking business. Julio, you know, it's, it's such an interesting sort of take on 
old school versus modern. And I use modern a lot in my podcast and my everyday work. And there's something to be said for those that can take what's offered now from a technology perspective and and weave that into their strategy to try and figure out the best way to maximize that. And I almost see them also as like sort of disruptors. I don't know if that word sort of uh, resonates with you, but those that can really, I'll say, embrace whatever opportunities they have with technology gives them the ability to really modernize their business. You talk to a lot of finance and accounting teams. I'm curious what sort of patterns you're seeing in, in terms of what might be top of mind for them right now. I think that the top of mind for finance teams these days, given the current macro environment, is how to drive efficient growth mm-hmm. across the company. I think finance teams are being tasked by the board of directors and the CEO to drive efficiencies into the business, to extend runway, to inform better decisions through scenarios, to go granular and save costs or challenge uh, CAC, CAC payback. Expectations are mounting for finance teams. So at least for people and, and, and finance folks in our customer base, what they are seeing is an increasing level of pressure for them to have an impact in that efficient growth that companies need to deliver these days. That translates into a lot of you know, day-to-day complexities when it comes to having data automated, um, access to insights that you know, makes them think, oh, I need to upgrade my game now. Um, I cannot really deliver this if I'm not really embracing technology to, to your previous point. Um, yeah, and do you see, you just mentioned like the data aspect It's something that I feel like always comes up, especially when we're talking technology, automation. How does that impact your customers or your prospects? And how do you talk to them about data, I'll say preparedness or cleanliness? Do you have any sort of, I'll I'll say, recommendations or, or points of advice that you could give to someone who's thinking about the data that they're going to need in order to automate? 100%. So I think it's first important to revisit how you want to present your reports and your business plan. And and what I'm really saying here is what level of operational KPIs you really want to master. I'm starting to to think of finance teams or the CFO or the BB finance as also the chief data officer or the BB of data. Right. So I think we, we, we need to go towards that goal, right? There is no reason why data cannot sit and belong to the finance function. So with that lens and then looking to the world, my question is, how do you master not only your accounting data and then your consolidation and, you know, you do the creating the audit and all that stuff, which is great, but, but honestly, pretty basic today. How are you thinking of bringing all this wealth of operational data, operational KPIs, to merge into your business plan and then to have these informed business conversations so that you can challenge marketing on their funnel and the next campaign because the CAC doesn't sound reasonable to you. Or you can challenge sales and their capacity model and HR, any other, right? So you, you, you are becoming effectively a, a, a stellar business partner because you talk the language of the business. I love that advice. And I think of it almost as you almost have to go to the end 
to figure out what you actually need and get those requirements and then almost work your way back to say, how do I map the data in that way? And through that process, there's probably a way in order to highlight the gaps or areas that need attention so that at the end of the day, those KPIs are something that you can actually get to. I love that advice. Now, have you seen any shifts in the recent year, given the macroeconomic environments and conditions that we're in? Are customers thinking about automation differently than maybe they were even two years ago? Yeah, we, we are seeing more eagerness for, to, to drive that automation and that, def, that efficiency in the finance function. What, what we are seeing is 2020, 2021, maybe growth at all costs. It was a very different environment. Um, when you talk to finance teams today, they are not only more cost aware, but they are being asked to drive a new level of conversation in the company. They are now driving accountability. They are now driving performance. And it is their expectations to do that. So the current macro environment is only accelerating that need to automate that. When, when, when customers of us, before using our technology platform, they need to spend 60, 70% of their time actually cleaning that data. So you, you first need to map out what are the data sources? What's the process to clean that data? But oftentimes, finance teams, unfortunately, and we're talking here about really talented people, right? So people extremely well-educated, eager, willingness to have an impact, to thrive, to change the organization, hard workers committed. And then, you know, three weeks of the month are basically gone in cleaning data, right? And, and honestly, I've been there, right? So I've, I've been that monkey and, and, and it was not fun. So what we are seeing today is that they are asked for insights. They are getting very tough questions and they are really seeing the urgency to drive automation into the function so they can really perform and live up to expectations. You know, I've heard it be said recently, we're having to do more with less. And I think that's where that that automation need comes in. And that urgency that you're talking about is exactly that. It's we're in a situation now where teams are being asked to do the same, if not more, with maybe even less people, less resources. And so that's where technology can really come in. So, you know, while there is some spend, some investment that needs to be done for that, that technology or that automation investment, it really does pay back in spades in what you can do after that that initial spend. So it's sort of thinking about that total cost of ownership. Curious if you have a, a viewpoint on that total cost of ownership and and the value that maybe you're spending, you know, more money at the outset for the implementation and first year cost of whatever that license might be for some sort of automation tool. Curious if you can share with me and our listeners around your thoughts on that total cost of ownership and what that looks like over time, why it's still a good investment up front. Totally. A couple of reflections here. When I think of technology, you know, te technology really enables three options, right? Either you increase revenue, you reduce cost, or you increase productivity. But usually through automation, you go through the third bucket, right? So reducing cost might be an option, uh, but usually you are getting done more with less, which is really appropriate for the times that we are living. More expectations, more demands, 
the same or less resources to your point, now I need to, to upgrade my game through automation. How we think of the total cost of ownership, we need to look at the different solutions and being smart about what type of software we need to select. Because not, not, not all solutions are born equal, right? So there are more legacy players, more modern players, and everybody has strengths and weaknesses, right? But typically, modern solutions are better equipped to do a faster implementation. So reducing the cost of ownership, they are easier to use. So you don't really need to hire somebody that is a certified X solution master that, you know, really becomes the admin and the master of that solution. And then you actually need to increase your resources to maintain a solution. If you have an easy to use software, like the existing team can easily get, get, get done with that. So that's also reducing the cost of ownership, faster implementation, ease of use, and that really pays back very fast the, the investments that, that we see. I absolutely love that you introduced three points that the automation helps where you can reduce cost, you can grow your revenue. That's usually where people stop. And I love the idea around increased productivity because it's exactly what I was just talking about, the doing more with less. I, I love that. So let's zoom in on the role of technology a little bit more. How do you think about FP&A automation and the value of that for CFOs, controllers, and, and FP&A teams? If FP&A automation is the anchor to really become more strategic to the business. For me, the question that I always ask our customers and our prospects is, what are you going to be doing with all this time and energy that you are saving? I want to understand the reason why, because I am assuming you're not going to be going to the beach and, and yes. just have fun. So hey, hopefully you have a better life and, and you, you know, instead of, you know, being home at 10 p.m., you go home at uh, whatever, 7 p.m. and spend some quality time with the family. I love that, so I'm all for that. But from a ROI perspective, I love to understand what's on your plate that you are not doing because you are stuck doing all this monkey work. I see finance teams lost in that maze of manual work, downloading CSV files, copy-pasting in Excel, manipulating data, then copy-pasting Google Sheets, trying to share data, errors, like month after month. It's madness, right? So, so for, for me, is imagine click of a button, you have all your operational KPIs, all your financials clean at your fingertips, all your reports are updated. Now you're using your brain you are driving insights, you are driving a conversation, you are sitting with people and becoming a business partner, you are challenging other stakeholders in the company, you maybe are looking into M&A, maybe you want to own pricing, which by the way, you know, finance could easily own. Maybe you want to inform product roadmap and really get more granular as to what are we building as a company and how, how this is gonna be, you know, built into our business plan and drive revenue. So you, you are becoming that strategic partner for the business instead of this team that, yeah, I have my forecast updated, you know, on 15th of the month, I have my report updated 15th of the month. Nobody really cares because it is, this is all news anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I feel frustrated now, you know. I love that there's an aspect of how you can change all of that information that's 
available, but making it so much more strategic to the overall business. That data is there. So to your point, it's what you do with it that is how valuable that data becomes. And it really can help grow the business and inform different cross-functional areas on how they can be doing things maybe more effectively or better or advising the roadmap, whatever that looks like. So there's certainly something to be said for the automation aspect, really having a true valuable impact overall, just even outside of FP&A. It's just allowing FP&A to have those conversations. Now, I'm particularly passionate about revenue automation. Curious how you think about revenue automation versus FP&A automation solutions. Like how do those technologies interact with each other? Do you have an idea of what maybe the perfect tech stack looks like? Yes. So I think they are totally complementary in, in FP&A. I don't know solutions that really try to, to get into revenue recognition. And, and I think revenue recognition fulfills a critical part in the CFO tech stack. I think this is actually, you, can, you could argue, is a priori investment to having FP&A software, right? So re- revenue recognition sits at the very core of what you want to get right from the very beginning. So I think... I think technology has evolved so much in finance that we can also say that ERPs have been falling short across the world. Um, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> want to sound very, very, but, but hey, really point solutions are very, very relevant today. So I think that, you know, complementing a sound ERP with revenue recognition solution and then also an FPN solution, potentially a bit, you know, hey, six months later in the journey of building your, your finance tech stack is the way to go and, and the way we, we see actually our customers think of it. I think of it as, you know, I, I've, I've kind of evolved my own thinking. I went from thinking ERPs, I don't want to say we're bad because they're good for what they need to do and they serve a purpose and they still need that. I've shifted from this, what ERPs can't do to an, a, a thought around ERP plus subledgers or solutions can make ERPs that much stronger. And now to your point with so many automation solutions available from a finance perspective that are able to plug in seamlessly with these ERPs, it really does provide finance teams with somewhat endless possibilities in what they can actually do and, and how strategic they can become. So I think you make a, a, a perfect point there. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. Now, if we shift ahead to kind of think about what finance might be in the future, what do you think about when you, or do you have any predictions around where finance and accounting might be in, say, 10 years, like, and maybe FP&A specifically? What, what would that look like to you, especially thinking about those modern controllers? How do they take us out 10 years? I think in 10 years, and maybe now it's unavoidable to mention AI, but I don't want, I don't want to get into the hype. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that technology is from 2015, right? It's only now that we've productized it better and made it more available to the general public, right? But what, what we are seeing really is FP&A embracing new technology. And you know, not so long ago, it was ML and having more predictability. I think that AI is going to offer great opportunities for finance teams and FP&A teams to be more proactive 
in five to 10 years. I think we are overestimating today the direction of travel of the technology and of the market. And what I want to say with that is direction and speed of travel. What I want to say with that is that most of the time in the mid-market, people don't really need AI. They really need to build the basic foundations for that automation. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so AI is not going to solve anything for them. Usually <laughs> what you really want to get done first is, hey, you have, you have an ERP, CRM, revenue uh, recognition and automation. You have uh, HRIS, you have a BI maybe, or you have this tech stack, but in finance and when it comes at least to FBNA, you are in a spreadsheet. So with, with all this mess of, of, of manual work that we've characterized before, so you, you, you don't really need a super smart chatbot at that point in time. Like what you really want to get is API connections to all these data sources, tracking and having very easy real-time visibility on your operational KPIs and your financials and how they intertwine. You, you want to automate your reporting. So you want to get all that right first and then on that layer, then you start building, ah, now I'm going to fine-tune my forecasting accuracy using predictive ML. And then I'm going to start maybe using AI for more narrow use cases. For instance, can I produce a report automatically? Can I get suggestions as to what are the key drivers of the business that are off? And then, you know, you, 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 you have the eye swallowing a lot of the data and, and producing some insights. So I think we are getting there you know, soon, but I think a lot of people are maybe overestimating how clean and sound the foundations are. That's a, a really insightful answer. And I think having that situational lens on it is incredibly thoughtful on your behalf, because a lot of times I get like general answers on AI and what it means to our business. But I, I really appreciate that your, your viewpoint on that. Now, Julio, final question. What's the one mistake that you consistently see finance and accountings team making when it comes to automation processes and and how they operate? I think oftentimes what we see is technology and processes being decoupled. That's Mm -hmm. definitely one of them because usually it's not a matter of only implementing technology and running an implementation software that usually needs to come even in the mid-market with maybe revisiting your talent density when, when it comes to assessing people or definitely for sure assessing processes and how interconnected you are across the company. Having all this automation we have without the proper reporting, monthly reporting processes, your reforecasting process, do you want to do it quarterly? Do you, you want to do it monthly? What's your, unless you get all these processes right and you get very well connected to the company, all this automation is not going to yield the results that you are hoping for. So you really need to be empowered in the organization and drive all these processes so that you have the, the impact across the business. It, it's not necessarily that processes are completely replaced by automation. It's they're changed and made far more effective, but need to still be in place and still need to be there in order to take full opportunity of the that automation solution, right? And I think that's a fabulous point and a wonderful place to close. 
Julio, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you and I can't wait to have you back again. And thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. I really appreciate it. And listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle, that's E-M-D-A-I-G-L-E. Links are in the show notes. And please stay tuned and in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting leaders just like Julio. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. 